Uh, closing your eyes is no more spiritual than opening your eyes. All it does is shut down one of your physical senses. Yeah? And, uh, and because I don't think in the room we have any children who are going to race away and escape away, maybe we could just close our eyes a moment. And just before God, wherever we are on life's journey, say what I often say, God, will you speak to me? I said those words as somebody who wasn't even a Christian one day. And surprise, surprise, he did. God, would you speak to each and every one today? Holy Spirit, would you come? You're here. You promised that you were present where two or three, and there's more of us than that. You're in this very place wanting to touch our lives and our hearts. And I'll ask you just to do your work this morning. Take that which I would share as carrying your heart to each and every one of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. I, um, I realized a few weeks ago how awful I have become at using PowerPoint and stuff, that we just haven't done it so much in the last 18 months. So forgive me if this doesn't go well. And normally I've broken a rule already that I draw attention to something which you probably wouldn't even be aware of. Uh, however, I'm just letting you know that Dave has got his learner plates on once again. But it's important today because of some of the stuff that I feel that I want to share. I don't know if you, like, uh, like me, in early life, people give you their wisdom and they tell you the kind of things that you should do in order to grow well and do well in life. And um, if Toby... Ooh. I'm going to look and see... I will love you. We'll just well done. Was that me? Just you're allowed to say yeah. It was me. You're going to point at me anyway, aren't you? You got your chocolate now. So there's there's. This was one of the pieces of advice I was given as a kid. If you sit that close to the TV, your eyes will go square. Well, let me tell you that that is not true. It was a piece of advice, a control mechanism by my parents to try and get me away from the telly. It was a load of rubbish. Okay. This was another one. If you don't eat your crust, you'll never have curly hair. Look, I am a crust man, okay? It's as flat as anything. This piece of advice, this piece of guidance, again, is just not true. It's an old wives' tale. And, and here, here is the worst one that you know, before I even put the words up, what it's going to say. It was this, if you don't eat your greens, you won't grow big like your dad. Let me tell you that, that that also is definitely not true. I'm six foot seven. I dwarfed him at, at least six, seven inches than my dad. I appreciate that all of you health people now are going to say, well, actually, Dave, the greens do. But not in my case. Six foot seven, you know, and I didn't see a green piece of food enter my mouth until I was about 19, all right? If it was orange, if it had fish coated with some little things, and if it was mashed potato, that was me, or a bag of chips. Pretty much, that's not a healthy diet, but it did me for 19 years, okay? Clearly, none of these, uh, none of these are life essentials that are going to work. But sometimes people come and share some stuff with us, and we need to take heed of it. In particular, in the last month, we had the apostolic ministry to this church, Kerry Jones, come. And Kerry came, and he had prayed, and he carried on his heart, like an apostle does to the church, what he felt that God said we needed to know. 
We needed to know some stuff about some anchors in life that were going to help us individually and corporately as a church. So in the weeks after his visit, we have um, dedicated time to following up, exploring, and digging into the truths that anchor one, Harry, was that God is good. Now, listen, today you really are not going to get away without responding to me, okay? So there's no chocolate prizes, there's no nothing, it's just I'm going to keep you here for two hours unless you do. It seems a good deal. So let's say together, and you're going to say a few times these phrases, but could you say with me, God is good. This is what Harry taught us. This is it, that all the time, in every circumstance, in every setting, his nature never changes. That he is constant, he is reliable, he is good. The weather, the circumstances, the challenges of life do not change this truth that is eternal, that God is good. Always and forever, in every and any situation, God is good. And that will be evidenced in history and in our own personal lives as we look back and see his hand of goodness upon us. In every challenge, in every difficulty, God is good. It's an immovable, immutable truth in life. And it will be an anchor that will hold you and me. Last week, David came with anchor two and he said, God is all-powerful. Can we say that? God is all-powerful. Maybe he's got a bit more power than the words that we're saying. So maybe we'll say it again, and and maybe we'll let's focus on that word all, all right? God is all-powerful. He's more than able in any and every situation. He sits on the throne, and and Satan and the hordes of hell cannot usurp that. He reigns and rules forever. Romans 8, 11 tells us this. It says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you, believer in the house this morning. That same power you have available to live your life. You don't have to go through in the White Knuckle Brigade. You don't have to go through on your own energies and your own resources. Why would you do that? Why would I ever try? And believe you me, I have. We were destined And designed that we as children of God would know his power and we would know his goodness in our lives. Why would any of us settle for anything less than that? Now Jeff is going to share next week and I'm preempting him. But he's going to share about the fact that God is a sovereign God and overruling. He's going to unpack that next week and we'll see the application in our lives. You'll see he's missing today but him and Pam are over ministering in King's Church in Lancaster. You know what? Right now he's probably getting up because we're a little bit ahead of them. And he's going to share the word of God with the people of God. We just pray for him. Father, thank you for Jeff. Thank you for Pam. Let him know a fresh anointing today. And might the church family in King's Church Lancaster just be bowled over by your presence and your love and your power and your life. Might words come that will stir and sharpen and shape their next chapter through Jeff. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And I have the honor today, and it is an honor always to open up an anchor that Kerry talked to us about, and how in the world in the next 19 minutes or so, God loves me. I'm going to talk about it. It's an anchor of life. God loves me. Now, that's not just God loves me and you lot are all losers and the also rounds, of course. It means God loves us. Yes? God loves us. Just 
just look around somebody, just look at somebody maybe next to you and say, God loves us. Yeah? Yeah? And now, and, and I know I feel a bit awkward about looking people in the eye. This is good news. You don't have to hand gel for this thing. You just need to look and just say, God loves, and then I want you to change the word us to me. God loves me. Yeah? There's some different ways that we can say these three words, and if you don't get it right, we'll be here a long time. And if you do, we're going to be moving on. But God loves me. This is a truth. Just the same as God is good, just the same as God is all-powerful, God loves me, and we can focus our words, and we are going to do this, by the way, and we could do it this way. And the yellow indicates what? The word nuku that you're going to say with a little bit more strength, a little bit more feeling. We're focusing on God loves me. Yeah? Let's do it again. Ready? You think, oh, is it going to really be like this? Yes, and you're trapped. The doors are locked. You just better ride the wave, okay? Ready? After three. God loves me. And then we know that I'm going to go there, and I'm going to say this, that God loves me. He loves me. When you say, he loves me. He loves me. And we're going to look at this. And this is a little bit awkward now because we feel it's a bit kind of self-centered. And, and, and we always feel a little bit more awkward when we get to the me bit. It's easy that God loves you, Lynn. And I can understand why God loves you. You're an amazing lady, you know. I can understand why he loves David. I can really get Jan you. But as for me, I'm not so sure. I'm going to unpack that a little bit later on. But can we just say this? Now you're not talking to anybody else just right now. So you can shut your eyes so you can avoid the embarrassment. But I'm not going to move on unless I hear me louder than God loves. Ready? One, two, three. God loves me. We're just going to take a moment to unpack that statement. And we're going to look at that fact that God loves me. The God who created the universe, the all-powerful one, the most powerful being ever in this cosmos, in what we see and what we don't see, has a plan and purpose for your life, Sam. He has a plan and purpose for your life. That same God that just spoke and things came into being, that created things that were not even there. That God, this almighty, amazing God, loves you. Can you even begin to get your head around that? Oh, that's not so good, is it? I'm going to give you a theological word that they say that God is transcendent. And that that, that means that God is above, completely other than anything else you can imagine. He is independent of his creation. God is infinite in all his aspects. He never changes. Only he has no source. He has no beginning. He has no end. God needs nothing. He depends on nothing. And he owes nothing. He is holy, holy, holy. The perfect one. Perfect in every way. I read a book this week and he just said, simply put, it's this. God is God and we are not. It's a good phrase. It stuck with me. And yet, even though that word is transcendent, he's up, he's out there, he's eternal, he's this incredible being, he's also this, God is imminent. And that means he sustains all things. He's present, he's active. He's not divorced as a third party out there. Being imminent, his imminence is with us. It's illustrated in this scripture. 
in Colossians 1 verse 17, where it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He didn't just create it and then walk away and get on with things. He's a creator who sustains this amazing cosmos. And yet, he's also the one who says, where two or three are, there I am. He's the one who says, I am Emmanuel, God with you, Andy, with you. That very same being. This, this, how can we hold together these two truths, their intention? They seem to contradict that he can be this, and yet he can come and he can know us so well that he even knows the numbers of hairs on my head, our heads. It's easier with some of us than others. But hey, it's good to know, isn't it? This verse in Isaiah helps us to understand it a little bit better. Sorry if the text is a little bit small, but thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, that's the size of God, whose name is holy. God says about himself, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. In that verse, we see the God who is out there who's awesome and incredible, and yet the God who is intimate and close and can live inside of our lives. This same God who is holy and awesome, close and almighty, all-powerful, is the same God who is right here that we just sung, that we bowed the knee and lifted our hands to, and he's here in this place. I need to say this, though. He is not your mate. He is not your pal. He's not the guy in the sky. Those kind of phrases don't honor God. It's not that God is all holy in one moment, and then the next moment he's Abba Father. He's everything all at the same time, and we need to treat him that way. We can boldly approach the throne of grace, but don't think that as a believer that you can just do your own thing in your own way. We hold all of these tensions together as we come to the God who loves you and me. He loves you. Not just generally out there. He loves you as a person. He cares about your life. He wants to have this ongoing, deep relationship, be part of your everyday. Even if you've spent your life running away from God, even if right now you feel, God, I'm a bit distant from you, he still loves you. This almighty God, still loves you. And God's love is unconditional and infinite. It will never run out. It's far beyond anything that any person could ever offer you. The Bible says God loves you whatever your state. That's good news. That is good news. So let's explore that love. Let's say that together again. We'll come back to it. Ready? God loves me. He loves me. Give your neighbor a prod. Give your neighbor a prod if you've got one. Just look at them and just say, God, God loves me. God loves me. Now, in our English language, it's a little bit rubbish, isn't it? Our English language, I don't want to slam it, but, you know, I can turn around and I can say to my amazing wife, Sue, hiya, Sue, she's at the back, I love you. I love you. And then in the next breath, I might say, I love my football club, my car, or this burger. I mean, it's just, it's just incongruous that those two things, we mix it up and we use that language. And, and you just think, that's not exactly right, is it? 
That's why the Hebrew and the Greek language in many ways are so much better, and the Hebrew was what the Old Testament was written in. Um, just as an example, we'll find these three words in the Old Testament. We have raya, and raya is the love that you would feel for a friend or a companion, your, your soulmate. And, and ahava is that which it's a whole new level. It's, it's that kind of love that you have for somebody where your heart actually aches if you're not with them. And then dod, and that love refers to the physical and the sexual side. All of those words are separate, and they define a kind of, a type of love. And then there's this beautiful word, chesed. A difficult word to fully explain in English, chesed. And we could do a whole series on it, and I've got like two minutes. As it is translated in a range of ways. Chesed, and it could be spelt with a K at the beginning. That's H-E-S-E-D. Chesed, the love of God. The love of God, and, and here's the different words and ways we describe it. So the love of God, that God loves me. He loves me with a faithful love. It's reliable, it's loyal. It's love that's not in a theory, but it's love that's put into action. It is a steadfast love. There's a certainty and a surety about it. It expresses mercy and kindness and grace and goodness. And it is powerful and it is unconditional. That is the love that we just said, God loves me. That's the type of love that God loves you with. When I think of verses in the Bible that come to my mind, this one often is the first one. Blah. We get the verse, but with the reference is Lamentations 3 and verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The steadfast chesed of the Lord never ceases. The chesed love of God that we're talking about here. We find it in other places, including when the prophet Isaiah wrote some words in Isaiah 54 and verse 10. Just I could go to loads, but it says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you, my unfailing love for Carol, my unfailing love for Fiona, will not be shaken. Chesed love. And we'll find it throughout Scripture in that Old Testament. We'll find it in the New Testament. It's a work called Agape, which is slightly different. I'm not going to go there because it will be a black hole for me right now. But this unconditional love means this. What does it mean? The unconditional love of God that we talk about means this. I don't have to be something to achieve God's love, to receive God's love. I don't have to do something to receive God's love. It is there always. I can, I can just be me. And God accepts you and me just the way we are. Please don't confuse that with saying, well, that's great because I can live my life my own way, do my own thing, say my own thing, go anywhere, do anywhere. That, that is not what that is about. It's not a license for free-for-all. Chesed love that God gives. There is a response from our heart and our lives. But we no longer have to strive to be something or do something to receive the love of God. God loves you. I, I do want to say this, that God's love for you is not based on your personal circumstances, on the joys that you may be having or the trouble or tribulation or challenges and the pains that you maybe are going through right now. 
It's really, really important for us to understand that his love is never changing. It's always constant towards us. If knowing good things in life was a representation of the fact that God loved us, then let me say, the Apostle Paul has big trouble. In fact, you would look at the Apostle Paul and you would think about it that Paul Paul was hated by God. I'm going to read you this. This is what happened. There's a list that he writes. I've been in prison often, flogged severely, exposed to death again and again, lashed 195 times, beaten with rods three times, pelted with stones, shipwrecked three times, a night and a day in the open sea, in danger in rivers, from bandits, in the city, in the country, at sea, in danger from unbelievers. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was cold, and he went without food, cold and naked. That's a pretty exhaustive list which I have not even tapped into apart from when the duvet got pulled over by Sue and I was left on my own, I was a bit cold. It doesn't translate into this. God loves us whatever. Paul was not shipwrecked in his faith because something awful happened. He knew that in it all, he could live through it all because he knew the chesed, constant, steadfast love of God. God does indeed love me and he loves you but today is actually about you God loves you in any and every situation whatever the circumstance or challenge or the blessing we don't equate that with God's love we receive God's love his hesed his love for you and I remains the same Now we're going to come to the bit that we said was earlier. That was the tougher part. And we're going to be able to say it. Now again, nudge your neighbor and say, hey, God loves me. Yeah? God loves me. Yeah? You need to look look somebody else in the eye. Turn around if you need to without tweaking your back. Turn around. Look somebody. Tell them, God loves me. You know what, Camille? God loves me. Steve, God loves me. You're allowed to say it to your wife. God loves you. You're a believer. That's what. That's the truth. God loves me. It's so easy to exclude ourselves. And it's easy for us to understand why God would love somebody else rather than me. It's easy because I can think of the things I said and the things I did and the way I live my life and some of the attitudes I have. And I suddenly start putting barriers towards the fact that God couldn't really love me as much as he loves Julia. That it's Joy's an NHS nurse. For a start off, she must have more love than me. God must love her so much more. And he does love you so much more. But that's not to the exclusion of me or you. Now, you may have no confidence in me. In fact, some of you in the room, you don't even know who I am. You'd expect me to say this kind of stuff because I'm a church leader. Of course I'm going to stand here and say, God loves you. Why should you believe me? You may not choose to believe me today, but I don't think I could ever convince you just with my words. So what we're going to do just for this little bit about God loving you, I'm going to read God's word. We're going to read God's word and what it says. We're going to allow God's word to be the plumb line in our life. Can I just say this? I have feeling prompted this isn't here. Some of us have been living our life our way and we have not, we've been violating what God's word says. 
It needs to be the plumb line in our life once more. And God doesn't come with a sledgehammer to beat you up because you've been doing it your way and the wrong way. He just comes and with the father's arms that he extends to a prodigal and just says, come back. In this moment in time, come back. Start doing it his way. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will be done. Maybe you, if that speaks to you, just receive it as from the Lord. Here's some scriptures where this becomes the plumb line and speaks to me. And if God isn't true to his word, he is violating his very nature and he can't do that. He can't do that. He's always going to be true to his word. Here we have Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He was willing to lay down his life, to pay the price, so that we, you, me, could have a relationship with him. He paid the price. He loved you that much. Paul writes to the Romans, and he says in Romans 8 and verse 37 to 39, these words, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation. I think he has got that pretty boxed off to say there is nothing that will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And yet, in our lives, here is one of the most powerful things that can cause you to feel that there's a barrier, and it's your choice. Your choice to believe that God actually does love you with that intensity, with that power, with that strength. John, in his epistle in 1 John 3 and verse 1, wrote this. He said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Believer in the house today, you're a child of God, a precious blood-bought child of the living King. You're his workmanship. You're his craftsmanship. You're his masterpiece. He loves you. You can say with confidence, God loves me. That's amazing. Peter writes these famous words in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. You, I am a chosen person. I am a royal priesthood, part of a holy nation. I am God's special possession. I love that phrase. Believer in the house, you are part of God's special possession. That's why he loves you. You can say, God loves me. And there's a purpose to our life that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You weren't supposed to find this love and find this connection with God and then go do your own thing. He's destined a plan and a purpose for all our lives. It is amazing. And there are so many verses that would say the same. And there were just four. If we choose to believe it, we'll see that God loves me. Have a look at somebody again, somebody different. Catch their eye. Say, God loves me. It's true. Eddie, God loves me. He loves you as well. That's a surprise, isn't it? No, it's not. You're a believer. You know Jesus. God loves me. As we draw to a close today, 
we're going to break bread. We're going to come together as a family. And on the tables that are in between and around the room, you're going to find some bread and wine. Don't, don't start passing it out just yet because I just want to say a few things. In our own lives, the sacrifice and the price that we pay tells us how we value something. It reflects the value we put on it. I, I want to honor my son-in-law, Andy. You know, he was living in Liverpool, didn't have his own car. And in a phase where he was courting, dating, wanting to win the hand of my daughter, he would regularly put himself out because he paid the price to inconvenience himself. She was really busy and swamped with work. He had more time and he took time out, always going over to invest time, to pay the price so that he could win her hand in marriage and he did. And now I'm a granddad. It's great news. We love it. I don't kind of like that word, granddad. I don't know what they, kids call me pops, but who knows what they'll call me. It'll probably be some abstract word. Mick and Steph are probably experts. Kids conjure up the most weird words, don't they, to call. But it's got to be better than when I was a school teacher and they said, hey, you, <laughs> or lanky one, or lurch. That was one. That was one they called me. Kids calling me lurch, and then they were faster than me running away so I couldn't catch them. <laughs> they didn't know I was moving in word of knowledge, though. So honestly, the catches I had were sensational in life. God loves me. And before we come to the bread and wine, before we take it, we need to understand they are not just bread and wine. They're not just, they are symbols, but they're not just symbols. It's, it's like over there in the corner, we have the water. When you go down in that water, you don't just get wet as a believer. When you get baptized, there is something that is initiated. There's a power, a dynamism. There's a life that is unlocked. When you obey what God's command is, repent, turn away from the way you were living, and be baptized. If you choose not to be baptized and you are a believer, you are living life your way, whether young or old. God's word is very clear. It's something you can be commanded to do. And if you don't, let me say this. We can't sugarcoat it. You are choosing your way rather than his way. This water, when you go down, it represents that you have died. And when you come up, it represents new life. There is something incredibly powerful and you shouldn't be robbing yourself of that. If you're in the house this morning and you're a believer, you need to be baptized. It's more than symbols. We know many times where there's stories where we, we, we come to this bread and wine and in this moment where we break it open, representing the body that was broken, we know that the stories of people who've encountered healing and power and peace and a transformation and a realization that there's a new perspective in life as a result of them coming to these two symbols. God's symbols have power. And so maybe around the tables, could you, could you if you're, you're nearby, there is hand gel to, to use so that we're safe. This is the way we're doing it. We've got these little cups. We're just going to deal with the bread. But I'd love it if you would not... Take the bread independently. We're going to do it slightly differently just right now as we remember him. God puts such a price on you that God loves you that, that we know John 3.16, the most famous verse in the whole world, for God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And, and can I just say, you might be in the room this morning, you might be watching online, and you've never made that decision to make Jesus your, your forgiver, your commander-in-chief, your, 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 your person who the Bible describes as Saviour and Lord. Then this could be your moment. 
I just lay in my bed one night as a 17-year-old and said, God, if you're there, I want you in my life. And he heard that prayer. And when I've been far away and when something's been maybe not right and, and I needed to recalibrate, I come to God in heaven and I just say, I'm sorry, I'm living life my way. He hears your prayer. He hears the words from your heart, whether spoken or quiet. And just in this stillness, in this moment, as we've all got a piece of bread maybe in our hands now, if we could make sure everybody who's in the house is going to take bread and wine, if you've got a piece of bread, just pause a moment. Just pause. Maybe if you're in the house or online, your prayer would be this. Let's just close your eyes. Take a moment to reflect on God's amazing love. And if you've never prayed this prayer, maybe you'd pray something like this. Jesus, I'm sorry for leading my life my way and ignoring your life, your love, and your sacrifice. Please, would you forgive me and come and live in me? Please, can I know your forgiveness, your love, your life? Thank you that you died and rose again and then asking in this moment in time for you to come in my life. I will begin my journey of faith with you. Amen. You might not have said amen. It doesn't really matter. We attach that. It means I agree. It's great when two people say it. But let me say this. If with the sincerity in your heart, that same sincerity that I called out to God, if you're there, I want you in my life. If you reached out to God, the good news is this. He heard your prayer. He heard your prayer. There's going to be things, that next steps, like getting baptized and beginning filled with the Holy Spirit. But the first thing you need to do is just tell somebody, I made that prayer. If you've come back to God at this time, tell somebody. Just say, I made a decision to come close to Jesus. Use your words, but that's what you do. And if you have done that, we've got resources and materials we'd love to give to you. Whether you're online, you're going to leave a message, send us at info at communitychurch.org. UK, and we'll give you something that will help you in your next stage of life. Our worship team, I'd like you to come back, please, because we're drawing to a close. For those who are already believers, if you've taken the bread, we're going to take the cup. And as you take the cup, maybe just pause and let your ears say, you take the bread and then we're going to take the cup. I just want you to pause at some point in this process. And as, as you take it, before you do, Will your own ears, believer in the house, say the words, God loves me? Before you take it, just pause. And maybe if there's been some challenges and issues for your own life, God will come with his Holy Spirit in this moment. As you take the bread, as you take the cup, say so that your own ears hear with your faith, God loves me. I wonder if I could invite you to stand together. Jesus said that he came and uh, he came to give his life as a ransom for us, we read in Matthew 20, 28. He came to give his life as a ransom for you because he loved us that much. He came to give his life as a ransom for me. Why? Because God loves me. God loves you. We're going to worship as we close with an expression of our love back towards him.
some declaration of the truth. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted because he was condemned. I'm alive again. His spirit is within us because he died and rose again. Amazing love we're going to sing of. And as I was praying and preparing for this, I genuinely felt this as we give this to God. This is a moment of response for you individually. There's no altar call to come down and lay hands, but it's a moment for you to experience afresh just the love of God coming in. If there is gaps between our life and what God wants, I am encouraged always by this, that if I've done something wrong, I can come to him and he is faithful and just and will forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I stand today as a blood-bought child of the living God, his workmanship, part of his family, where I know the voice of God today saying, I love you, my son. You hear the voice of God saying, I love you. I love you. This is an anchor for our life. Each and every one of us needs to know it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.